Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Start reading in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. It says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Our confidence in our salvation, our confidence in our home in heaven comes from God, not from self. I hope you were like listening to the words and, and praying the words of, our, of our, our last song, Lord, I need you. You're my, what is, that, what, is, what is that phrase? You're my righteousness, my righteousness. You don't have your own righteousness. We walk in righteousness because we want to be like the righteous one, Jesus Christ. We're called to be a holy people. But our righteousness that gains us entrance into glory, the righteousness that, that gives us access to the throne room of God, that's not our righteousness. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been wrapped around us when we've trusted him for our salvation. I mean, that's good stuff because it was just, if it was just my righteousness that I had to boast in in order to in order to share my faith and tell people that, that I have a home in heaven, if it was based on my righteousness, I would have had a home in heaven maybe yesterday, but not the day before. You follow what I'm saying? If it's my righteousness, my righteousness is not perfect righteousness. There's days when I'm not so right. There's other days where I'm doing pretty well. Well, hopefully you die on one of the days you're doing well if it's your righteousness, but it's not. We, we boast in the hope of the glory of God because it's not based on us. It's based on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his, his resurrection from the dead. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Huh, that's uncomfortable. We boast in our afflictions because we know that the affliction produces endurance. And endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Has anyone suffered afflictions? Raise your hand if you've suffered some afflictions. Come on, you bunch of liars, man. This is interactive today. Have you suffered some afflictions? I have TMJ. My jaw's killing me. That's an affliction. Like I went to eat lunch yesterday, uh, Friday and I'm, I'm going to open my, I couldn't open my mouth wide enough to eat one of those stuffed croissant things from Dunkin' Donuts. Like I'm like, Ugh! and then I had to do this. Ah, it was annoying. It was an affliction. Do you boast in your afflictions? Your car broke down, you lost your job, your best friend punched you in the face. It wasn't that, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> You haven't grown up with Randy. Your brother threatened your life. You've been tied to a tree. 
under a hornet's nest. I mean, you haven't lived until you've been tied to a tree under a hornet's nest with your big brothers throwing sticks at the nest. He says, we boast in our afflictions. How can we possibly boast in things that are uncomfortable? Well, because afflictions produce endurance. Because we know that this affliction, God is allowing it in our lives so that it will produce the character of Christ in us. So we don't just look at the affliction that we're going through. We don't just look at the tribulation or the trial that we're going through. We look at our hope. We look at, uh, there was a pastor who preached this one message called, um, uh, it was from Moses, it was from Hebrews. He endured as seeing the unseen. In other words, Moses had his focus so much on God Even though he couldn't see God, his focus was on God. He was able to trust that he would come through this affliction because his focus was on God, not so much on the affliction. I think that's what happens sometimes. We make our trials, we make our trials into our gods. Now, I don't know if it got quiet in here because you're not following me. Or if it got quiet in here because you're, you're enduring the pains of, of conviction. Have you ever met someone who's not, happy unless they're not, who's not happy unless they're not happy? You ever met someone who's going through an affliction and the affliction becomes their all-consuming God? And they feed the affliction. Their focus is so much on the affliction that God has taken a back seat instead of the affliction pointing them to God, they're consumed in the affliction. I've been there. I've been there. It's not a great place to be. But we're supposed to boast in our afflictions knowing that our affliction is going to produce endurance. It's going to produce character. And it's going to produce hope. Some of the things that my wife and I have been through particularly with Kirsten, there were days where I did not boast in my afflictions. But then there were other days where I recognized what the affliction was doing. And it was producing hope. So when I go through afflictions now, I'm able to look back at the afflictions that I've gone through before and recognize that God walked through me, with me, in those those valleys that he was present in that very trial. And it produces hope. So we boast in our afflictions, we boast in our trials, we boast in our hard times and our tribulations because we know that as we walk with God, they are producing endurance and character and hope. Well, this last verse of Romans that we're going to look at in Romans chapter 5 also tells us something about the Holy Spirit. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through what? I'm sorry, who? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This hope will not disappoint. Anyone ever have something that they were really looking forward to, an expectation that was like really, really cool and you're just excited about it and then you go and you experience disappointment. Anyone ever have that happen to them? 
my friend Corey was going to this fair uh, Saturday. He asked me if I wanted to go, and it sounded really cool. And I was, I was thinking I was going to be able to go, but then I uh, do some work on my son's car with him. We had a bonding moment over a bumper, and uh, and I had to do some extra work here at the church, and and so um, so I couldn't make it. And I felt a little bad about that. And then Corey texted me a few hours later. He's like, yeah, I left after an hour and a half. There was no shade. And it was really kind of boring. So Corey was going. He, he was excited about it, right? He's like, oh, this is going to be really cool. And he got there. And what happened? He was disappointed. I mean, these are trivial things. You ever been to a movie? You're really looking forward to this movie and you're excited about it. Man, I can't, I can't wait to see this movie. You go to the movie and you're like, hmm, that was a waste of two and a half hours. I've only ever walked out of two movies, I think. One movie my wife and I went to see and uh, it was so graphic and terrible. There were no warnings on it that I'm sitting there with my wife and I looked at her and I'm like, you want to get out of here? And she's like, yeah. We were incredibly disappointed. But this hope that we have in Jesus, this hope that is poured out on us, this love that's poured into us by the Holy Spirit, this hope of eternal life, this hope of the presence of God in our lives through our afflictions, through our trials, through our tribulations, it doesn't disappoint It's not based on us. It's not based on our experience. It's based on Jesus and his promise. Don't lose sight of your hope. Don't don't get caught up in another God. Don't get get caught up in something that is going to suck all of your attention away from Jesus. You know, you were his joy when he endured the sufferings on the cross. Think about that for a second. He looked forward to you. Jesus was looking forward to you and you were his joy, his crown of rejoicing, it says in Hebrews chapter 12. While he's hanging on the cross and dying for sins he didn't commit, he was looking forward to you. Maybe when we're struggling in our trials and tribulations and our heartbreak and our hurt, like Jesus was looking to us, maybe we should look to him. How about that? For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. That word consider means to deeply, deeply ponder. In other words, let your attention get sucked into the cross, into, the Jesus, into Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. That was all free. Um, the Holy Spirit, listen to this, he lavishes love upon us. That word poured out. He poured out God's love. It it, it means to pour out liberally, generously. Your cup should be overflowing with the love of God. And indeed, the love of God is there and the Holy Spirit is pouring it into you. And if you're not enjoying it, that's on you and me. And it's on our hang-ups. And we're not able to experience the mercy and grace and love of God because our focus perhaps is not on God. Perhaps our focus is so much on self that we can't see his love being poured out on us. Or maybe we don't feel it. Have you ever been numb? Raise your hand. You ever just been numb? 
I wish my jaw and shoulder were numb right now. But you've been numb emotionally. You're just kind of like, eh. Folks, it doesn't matter whether you are feeling his love or not. We receive his love by faith. It is there. It's there. And it's real. If you believe the word of God and the God of the word, trust that his love is being poured out on you. You think of uh, when you first started dating your girlfriend and maybe you got married to her and, I mean, you loved her. I know some of you old farts, right? You're kind of missing that right now. But you loved, you loved her and you would just pour your attention out on her, right? You buy her gifts. I used to, so we were, Trish and I were teens when we started dating We were Nate and Kenzie's age. Don't get any ideas, guys. But I would stop at the gas station and I would buy her a red rose and a white rose. The gas station roses, those are the best roses. That's all I could afford. And I would buy her those two little roses and I would give her those roses, red for true love and white for pure love. And I would just lavish that love out upon her. I kind of need to do that again. That's why we're going away this week. We're leaving tomorrow. I'll be back Saturday. And uh, that, that's just one of my ways of lavishing love out on my lady. Like, we've been through a hard time the last, the last uh, five months. And I felt like, you know what? You need to get away. Let's just do this. God lavishes love upon us. He's not stingy with his love. The Holy Spirit is pouring his love out on us more than you could ever pour your love out on anybody. How about parents? It's Mother's Day. I remember this when I thought I, I thought I knew what it was like, you know, parental love and stuff. If you don't have kids or, or you are a kid and, and you don't understand, you, you think you understand how much your parents love you, you have no flipping idea. You have no idea how much your parents love you. Uh, and man, if, if you adopt a child or if you've had a child, let me tell you, man, when, when we found out Trish was pregnant with Kirsten, while the baby's still in the womb, because that's what it is, man, I love that kid. Far, far before she was physically born, as soon as we found out, I knew there was a soul in that little baby in her belly womb. I knew there was a soul there. And she was my daughter. We didn't find out that she was our daughter. We just knew it. I just knew it. All three kids, I just knew. And we found out for Kirst, uh, for Nate and Chloe, but I knew beforehand. The love you feel for your child. Man. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. That's the only thing I think that we can really perhaps measure God's love for us by. The person you've, you've loved more than any other person, your spouse, your children, man, think about that at its best. And it still pales in comparison to the love that God 
is pouring out on you. Let's go on. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I will, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. In Colossians chapter 1, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. There's that, there's that situation again. Paul is suffering, but how is he suffering? With joy. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for this body that is the church. In other words, Paul is joining in Jesus' ministry. He's joining in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross. He completed the work that his father sent him to do. He was resurrected and then he ascended. But the work, the work needed to continue. The founding or the, or the establishing is a better word of the church. And the growth of the church and the health of the church. Paul was enjoining into Jesus' mission. And that's what he means by that. I've become its servant. The church's servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The mystery is Jesus Christ, the gospel. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. And I wanted to read those passages because I wanted to teach us this part of the Holy Spirit. We're going to teach a little bit of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of believers. He dwells within us. So first we, we looked at the fact that he's lavishing us with love. He's pouring God's love into us. And then we know that he indwells us. He's living with us. Jesus said, I will, I will give you a counselor to be with you for how long? Forever. He said, the spirit of truth remains with you and in you. The apostle Paul said that Christ is in you. He is the hope of glory, his return for his bride, the church. He's the blessed hope. The spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit within you, dwelling within you. This is distinctive from the filling of the Holy Spirit. The two are separate the indwelling occurs when you come to Jesus Christ and ask him to be your personal savior. Turning toward God, agreeing with him about your sin, and trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Recognizing you're a sinner by birth and by choice and recognizing that Jesus' death was enough. That he paid it all and that he rose from the grave. If you believe that and you have called out to Jesus, you have been saved. And the moment you were saved, you were Jesus teaches, you were born again. And the Bible says we were quickened by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But in that, in that time period, when you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live within. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. Don't you? 
He's living within. You are the dwelling place of God. You are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. If you have been saved, he is in you. He will never leave you. He is there. Folks, he, he's there. Um, he's not a temporary resident. He's not a house guest. Now, when we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, he's living in the house with you right now, but the filling is a little bit different. It's more than just God dwelling in the house. It's having full run of the house. You see what I'm saying? You could have somebody in your house, but they don't have full run of the house. You can have someone in their house, but they're not influencing the house. They're just a roommate. Folks, we need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that later, probably not today. Let's go on. Ephesians chapter 1, I talked about being quickened by the Holy Spirit. I want to I jump into that. In Him we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. There's that, there's that word again poured. And he adds this, this, this adjective, richly poured. How did he pour it out on you? What was his pouring like? It was rich. There's another passage in scripture, Romans chapter 10, verses, uh, verse, I want to say 12 or 11, where he said, the same God overall is rich unto all who call upon him, the Jew first and also to the Gentile or the Greek. God's not a halfway God. He's not human. We, we, we understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man, but he is not a flawed human being. He is absolutely perfect, and he doesn't do things halfway. And when he loves you, he loves you all the way. In fact, that's one of the things that John said about Jesus. He loved his own to the end. Well, let's go on. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and when you believed. You were sealed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of glory. Now... It is God who strengthens us together with, with you in Christ who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent. And what Paul means by we groan while we're in this tent is this is the tent this body is the tent. It's temporary. It's mortal. It goes on. Burdened as we are because we don't want to be unclothed, but clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. 
Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave his spirit as the down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we're away, physically away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from this tent, this body, and at home with the Lord. I want you to notice something that we are, how, how often are we confident? Is it when things are going well? When the economy is really running on all eight cylinders? How often are we confident? That, what does it say? We are always confident. If you're one here who, who, who believes that you can lose your salvation, are you always confident? Is that true of you who believe that you can lose your salvation? Are you always confident? Of course not. But if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, your salvation is not based on you, it's based on him. For we walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, we are confident and would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. That's good stuff. And so, as we move on, and what does the Holy Spirit do for us and in us? He is the seal and the guarantee of those who believe. Down payment, guarantee. Uh, You go to buy a car, they ask you to put a down payment on it. The down payment is the guarantee that you're going to come back, that you're actually going to purchase the possession. You're not going to walk away from a $5,000 down payment. You're coming back to finish the job. Make sense? So this is a great little um, summation of what the seal of redemption is by Craig Kenner. It says this, "To, to, to the day of redemption, a wax seal would have a mark of ownership or identification stamped in it, identifying who was attesting what was inside the container that had been sealed. Because it was commonly understood that the Spirit would be made especially available in the, end, in, in, the, in the time of the end, Paul here speaks of the Spirit as a deposit, a term used in ancient business documents to mean a down payment. Those who had tasted the spirit and had begun to taste the life of the future, of the future world that God had promised his people, are eternally secure. So when you came to Christ for your salvation, there was a seal placed upon you. And that seal is marked with God. It can't be broken by the enemy. And what that seal does is it says, what is within this belongs to me. You follow what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. He is the guarantee of our salvation. He is the guarantor of our salvation. You have a seal on you that says, child of God. Think about it. Be excited about it. You say, but pastor, I'm a failure. I failed yesterday. I failed today. I I can't. I can't seem to live up to my own expectations. Man, if you've trusted Christ, keep working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But you're not working for your salvation with fear and trembling. Faith works, make no mistake. If it's genuine saving faith, it will work in your life. And Paul, uh, Peter is going to share some of that next week as he goes through the fruit of the Spirit. 
But folks, your, your faith is in Christ, not in yourself. And the work you do as you work out your salvation is empowered and impassioned by God in you. So rest. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. There's no better guarantor or guarantee of your salvation than the Holy Spirit. You know, I said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My, my father who gave them to me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And here is Jesus claiming deity. Jesus is claiming equality with the father. He says, I and my father are one, right? You are held in the hand of God the son and God the father. He will not let you go. No one, not even you, can take you out of the hand of Jesus Christ and God the Father. And over that hand, over those hands, is a seal that says, child of God. The devil can't get you. you. He cannot take your salvation away, is what I meant to say. He cannot break the seal. He cannot steal your soul. He cannot change your destination. You follow? I mean, we are, we are children of God if we have trusted in the living God. Our confidence, our hope is in Him, not in ourselves. The righteousness that gives us confidence to walk into to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, that is Jesus Christ. He is our confidence. He is our hope. He is the blood that was shed for our sins and the sins of all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. When I start to feel condemning and judgmental, all I have to do is look in the mirror and see what God saved and see the person that God forgave. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't, you can't deserve mercy, by the way. You can't deserve mercy. If you're a believer in Christ here, you're not getting what you deserve. Can I get an amen on that? And you know, we're supposed to be little Christs, aren't we? That's what Christian means, little Christs. We are supposed to be the gospel to each other. Loving one another as Christ loved the church. Forgiving one another as God forgave us in Christ Jesus. Man, this is good stuff. This will preach. I know, just keep going. And do not grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. The redemption is the, is the consummation of our, our, our final point of salvation. Uh, someone has said this, you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. So we are saved and sealed. We are being transformed into the image of Christ through trials and tribulations and successes and failures. And one day it's going to be completed, the day of redemption. You're sealed until that day. When that day comes, you will have a new body like unto Christ's body, free of sin, and you will be perfect like your Lord is perfect. I am looking forward to that day. He goes on in 1 Thessalonians, the same author of the letter to the church at Ephesus, wrote another letter to the church at Thessalonians, and, and in the end of this letter, as he gets down to chapter 5, and he starts just shooting off a litany of imperatives. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, pray without ceasing. And this is one of the things he says, don't stifle, you may have in your Bibles, don't quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is at times referred to as a fire, 
right? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And so what do we learn from that about the Holy Spirit in our lives, in the lives of believers, that he may be quenched or stifled, or he may be grieved. Now, you've heard me teach on the grieving of the Holy Spirit. If you're grieving the Holy Spirit in your life, are you going to be happy? Where does the Holy Spirit dwell in the life of a believer? Where? Where? Come on, church, where is he dwelling? Within you. If he's not happy and he's living in your house, are you truly going to be full of joy or not? If mama ain't happy, happy Mother's Day. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I mean, you living in mama's house and she ain't happy, you ain't going to be happy. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, I live like that sometimes. I love my mom. Happy Mother's Day, mom. She's not here right now. My dad, for those of you that don't know how to stroke, and they're home right now. But I love my mama. But man, if mama wasn't happy, ain't nobody happy, man. You try to get out of that house. You try to get out of that house. The problem with the Holy Spirit, problem, is you can't get out of the house. The house is you. You feel, I'm going to kick you out of the house, Holy Spirit. And he's like, you can't do it. Well, then I'm going to keep pushing you back. You're no longer welcome in the living room, in the kitchen. I'm going to keep pushing you back. You're going to go in the closet. I'm taking over this house. And you may think that makes you happy for a while because you have stifled the Holy Spirit in your home. But it won't. You can pretend, as a Christian, you can pretend that you're happy, but you have the Holy Spirit in you. He's not happy. There's this verse in James, he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. You can pretend you're happy. You might even be happy in the sense of pursuing worldly things and distracting yourself with worldly possessions and worldly experiences and all these kinds of things. And some could be good, some bad, because you're pushing the Holy Spirit back and back and back. And you may actually be able to smile and enjoy a, a, a nice dinner. And James says, no! And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, when you hear James saying, let your laughter be turned to mourning because you're walking in sin, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. That's what the scripture says. Now, mourning shouldn't last for a lifetime. We mourn over our sins, we receive forgiveness, and then we move on. If you stay in your sin or you stay in your shame or you stay in your guilt, very often you'll go back to your sin. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can, we can quench the Holy Spirit's power and person in our lives. Why would we want to do that? Because we want to do what we want to do. In Ephesians, verses 25 to 23, he's teaching us about the Christ-like walk, putting off sin, putting on righteousness following and empowered by our belief in Jesus. 
He says, put away lying lips, speak the truth in love. Let him who stole steal no more, rather let him work with his hands so that he might have to give to those who are in need. A lot of people think the opposite of stealing is working. No, the opposite of stealing is working to earn so you can give. Total perspective shift. Total perspective shift. Are you grieving the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you turned your focus from Him, from God to self, to afflictions, to worldly pursuits? Is the Holy Spirit present and operating in your life? When you read your Bible, does He give you new insights? Uh, When you're confronted with temptation, does He warn you before the temptation or does He convict you after you fall? I mean, if he's, if he's warning you about the temptation, maybe there's a good chance he's not quenched in your life. But if you've been pushing him further, further, and further back into your home, into that little corner, very often he'll be convicting you after the fact. Don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Walk in obedience. Walk in obedience to him. And when, when he reveals sin in your heart, repent confess and move on. Don't wallow. One of the hardest things for me to do as a believer in Jesus, and it comes from my upbringing, it comes from preconceived ideas, one of the hardest things for me not to do is not to punish myself, is not to wallow, is not to stay down. I feel like I deserve to be punished. And so I wallow, and I stay, and I, be, I, I begin to go into this self-pity mode. And I look in the mirror, and instead of seeing a child of God, I see a loser. I see a sinner. Instead of seeing one who is favored by God, all I see is the brokenness. And what happens with that is, if that's how you're walking, and you're not receiving the love of God, and you're not walking in His forgiveness and His grace, and listen, um, your testimony is going to be severely stunted. There'll be no joy in your life. The joy of the Lord, listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to be a compelling Christian, you need to walk in joy. Now, that's not to say that we make excuses for our sin. That our sin isn't a big deal, it is. And, and when you sin and it affects other people, you should do all that you can to make restitution. Make, bring me works meet for repentance, John the Baptist said. But it's not that restitution, it's not those works that earn you forgiveness. The only reason that you can be forgiven It's because Jesus was punished in your place. And God cannot condemn the sin in you and the sin in Christ at the same time. Your sin was in his body on the tree. That is what the scripture says. Claim it, believe it, walk away from that sin and do whatever you have to do to gain power over the enemy in your life that is causing you to sin. He says, crucify your flesh. Put your flesh down mortify your flesh. 
Let's go on. Therefore, there's no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, man. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what happened. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Did you hear that? Ten commandments. Who loves them? They're awesome. They're powerless to save. But they're wonderful to live by. What they do, though, according to Paul in the book of Romans, is they make you feel guilty. Exceedingly guilty. Why? So you can turn to God and trust in Christ. That's the purpose. The law was weakened by the flesh. The law could not save. But God could. And Jesus did. If you've trusted him. We have a new law. I know there's crazy stuff going on. He goes on. You can just leave it alone so mine doesn't get messed up. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did, condemning sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. You follow? The sin that we have done was placed upon Jesus Christ in his body as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We cannot keep the law in our flesh. We trust in Jesus Christ and we are redeemed. You guys, man, kill me. off air. We'll see how this works. I know the devil's so angry right now. Some of y'all don't get it. You don't get how angry he is. This isn't their fault, by the way. It's just the enemy. That's just the enemy. So relax. We're not going to lose focus here. Instead, we're going to continue to preach this sermon And we're going to kick the devil in the teeth. Because that's what we enjoy doing. There's nothing like giving the devil a whooping. So where were we? Romans. Romans chapter 8. Let me get myself there. He goes on and he says, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not work, walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death and the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, 
If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. He indwells the believer, and you may have kicked him to the corner closet, but he is in you if you're a believer. If he's not, you are lost and still in your sin. Going on now. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. I mean, that's good stuff. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I'm going to jump to Titus chapter 3, verse number 4. Titus chapter 3, verse number 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared... He saved us. How? How did he save us? We've talked about this a bit. Not by works of righteousness which we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the whom? By the Holy Spirit. He, oh, there's that word again. He poured out His Spirit on us. How much? Abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, just as if I'd never sinned and always done everything right. That's a little short definition of justification. He has justified us by His grace. We may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Hope is a confident expectation based upon a concrete reality, a promise from God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. So what else does the Holy Spirit do for us? He gives us life. He gives us life. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you hath he quickened. He has made you alive if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You have a new and living spirit which will never sin. And that spirit is connected to God and the Holy Spirit ministers to you through that living spirit and you learn how to put down the flesh and control the flesh. It's good stuff. He's given you life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Sometimes we talk about when the Bible says, be not unequally yoked. For what concord has the devil with God or Christ? What agreement has the devil with Christ? And we sometimes will we'll use that, that, that admonition in the context of marriage. Don't be unequally yoked. Believer with an unbeliever. Why? Because when you are not a believer, your spirit is dead. And when you are a believer, you have a new and living spirit in connection with God Almighty. And you're coming into union with someone who cannot understand that kind of connection. They cannot understand the love of God. They cannot understand the will of God. And they cannot love like God because they haven't yet experienced it personally. Folks, you want to marry someone that knows Jesus. Not only knows Jesus, but you want to marry someone that's following Jesus. And if you're a believer in Christ, 
Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Well, I'm going to end there. No, I'm not going to end there. I mean, I'm going to be gone for a week. Let's talk briefly about the filling. Pay careful attention then. So God wrote through the Apostle Paul this phrase. Pay careful attention to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. But be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in hymns, psalms. I reverse that. Spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything in God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So, be filled. Being filled is different than being indwelled. As I mentioned earlier, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit gives us life, it cleanses us, it gives us a connection to God on a spiritual level. But as I mentioned earlier, there's a difference between a roommate living with you and a wife or husband living with you. In one, you share your dwelling place. In the other, you share your life. You share your life. You're filled. Under the influence, what is being filled with the Spirit? I love that he contrasts being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine. And we, we often, I think, overlook this really important, this really important um, contrast or connection even. Be not drunk with wine where there is reckless living. Right? Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. So when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, he says, be dr- don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We should look at what being drunk with wine looks like. Well, I thought to myself, I'm going to look this up. There's a great definition about being drunk with wine, being under the influence, when you get arrested while you're driving intoxicated, you get a DUI, driving under the influence. Well, what does alcohol do if you drink too much of it? Here it is. Alcohol is a disinhibitor, meaning it suppresses inhibitions in our brain, leaving us feeling more impulsive, less anxious, less restricted, so we can act according to our flesh and not say the things that we should not, etc., 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 Brad Paisley has a song, Alcohol. I'm not entirely sure whether he's singing of the wonderful attributes of alcohol or the bad things about getting drunk with alcohol. But he talks about having children that you weren't intending to have. He talks about putting a lampshade on your head and dancing. Inhibitions are dampened. In other words, things that we ordinarily would not do when we are drunk, we may find ourselves doing. 
And some people would say, well, that's the real you then. That's got to be the most foolish thing in the world. The real you is the reasoning center of your brain that says, don't do that. What are you, an idiot? That's the real you, right? There's inhibitions for a reason. They're part of you. However, he said, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. So what does the Spirit do? What does being with the, filled with the Holy Spirit mean? How is it like being drunk with wine? And I would say yes in a very real sense. Because when you are drunk with wine, you are under the, you are under the, when you are filled with the Spirit, you are under His, Come on now, you see it? You see it? If I did not have the Holy Spirit in me, first of all dwelling and then filling, I would never have called, been answered the call to be a pastor. I was happy doing other things. I don't know if you know I can draw and I can paint. And my, my dream job when I was a kid was to be a comic book penciler, to be a comic book artist, my heroes were John Byrne and, and a couple of other guys, Paul Smith, and, and I would copy their styles, and that's how I learned how to draw and paint. That was my dream. And then along came Jesus. He said, I got a better dream for you. I have a better dream for you. And I was under his influence. I was under his influence. Being filled with the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit. In some cases, he too, like alcohol, will repress your inhibitions so that you can do what you ordinarily would not do. I'm shy. I said this the other day, did I not? Margie, you met me when I was 16. Was I like really outgoing and, and look people in the eye and stuff? Can you see Margie shaking her head? Jen Stringer, you knew me. Was I shy? Yes. You didn't know me when I was 16, Ellie. I had long hair down on my collar. I was all about me before I came to Christ. When I came to Christ, I was still shy. I was known as Trisha's boyfriend back then. They would make jokes, are you going to take Trisha's last name? Yeah. I was not out there. I was not someone that you would think of as a leader when I was 16 and 17 and 18 years old. But God's influence repressed some of those inhibitions that I had about being out in front and enabled me to do what I cannot do. I wonder what's going to happen when my time is up if they're all going to come rushing back. I go, to, I go to pastor's conferences and sometimes I just sit in the back. I'm shy. I can overcome it by the grace of God. But generally speaking, so the Holy Spirit, to be filled is to be wholly under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You'll be able to do things He's called you to do by His power. So, we should be asked to be filled for as long as it takes. I was thinking about this the other day. How many glasses of wine 
or glasses of beer does it take to get you drunk? Most people are in here going to say, I wouldn't know. I have no idea. But some of y'all, if you're being honest, you do know. One glass? Lightweight. Two glasses? Three? Four? You get a big guy like Dave, probably takes like 15 glasses of wine to get him drunk. He's like, I am man. I am no lightweight. Then you get somebody skinny, like, aw, thank you. I need to lose 15 pounds. You're so special. It would probably take me like three. So we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. I like to look at it this way. J. Vernon McGee said this, we need to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we leak. He's controlling us one minute, the next minute we're like, get back in the corner. Who said you could tell me to forgive that person? You just be quiet. And we find ourselves resisting the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we need to stop and we need to have another drink. We got to stop and have another drink. Lord, Holy Spirit, please fill me. Please fill me. Please fill me until my entire house is run over by you. Until you have access to every dark corner and every dark room in this house. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill me until you are the main influence in my life. Not my pain, not my hatred, not my sin, not the devil, not his demons, but you. And keep asking him to fill you. Don't be afraid. I got up this morning, I say, Lord, Holy Spirit, please fill me with your, with your presence. Not just your power, but fill me. Fill me up. Lord, I know that I can only walk in righteousness through you. Okay, so you start walking through your day, and the next thing you know, you're driving down the street. And uh, you have a proclivity to road rage. You know who you are. I see you looking down. Like if you had a gun, there'd probably be a lot of dead people on the road. And so you see this person cut you off, and you're like, <clears throat> and that cuss word's and that's telling you, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, because I have leaked. Or Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, because here's a room that I've left you out of. The room of rage. See, the Bible says, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And when we're walking in this road rage and this wrath, and it, my counselor told me that I have an anger problem. I was really angry at him for saying that. I was like, dude, I do not. And then my kids are like, well... We need to give God the room of our anger. Give God the room of your lust. Give God the room of your desires. Give God the room of your fears. The filling of the Holy Spirit enables us to live this Christian life. 
What are some byproducts of being filled with the Spirit? Well, I think they're similar to being drunk with wine, except better. No regrets being filled with the Holy Spirit. Apparently, according to Brad Paisley, lots of regrets if you're drunk with wine. You'll be reckless for Jesus. You'll be reckless. You're going to do stuff for Jesus that he's telling you to do that in ordinary circumstances, you're like, no way, I'm not going to start tithing. That's crazy. Give God first fruits? Absolutely not. That's insane. And then you find yourself doing it. You mean walk up to that stranger and have a gospel conversation with him? God, you're crazy. No, but he's trying to make you crazy. Do it. Be filled with the Spirit. Be reckless for with Jesus. You'll speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. There's a loved one I have. He, every now and then he'll send, me, uh, he'll send me songs. I've got a couple of y'all that are doing that now. I'll get Matthew West songs about grace. Uh, I'll get uh, talk about Toby Mac, forgiveness. Uh, Toby Mac, speak life. Right? We're talking to each other and in spiritual songs. We're texting each other spiritual songs. Hey, I love this song. Let me share this with you. The natural result of being filled with the Spirit is worship with your life and with your voice. You'll be thankful always for everything when you're filled with the Spirit. Some of the trials and tribulations that I've gone through, I haven't been terribly thankful for in the moment, but then as I was growing in grace and growing in the Lord, something would happen and I would recognize that Jesus was present with me and I was able to thank him. Folks, we are going to know that God is good even though we can't understand why everything around us seems to be bad. We trust that God is good, filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We submit to one another. Pride and arrogance take a back seat in the life of a believer who is full of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Are you glad I finished that last point? Be filled with the Spirit, friends. There are marks to being filled with the Spirit. You can't live this life on your own. He's offered you himself. I don't know about you, but I need him. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.